0: Welcome to the Idaho Reports podcast. I'm Ruth Brown with Idaho Reports, talking to Luke Mayville, founder of Reclaim Idaho. We'll talk today about the latest ballot initiative efforts and a lawsuit over signature gathering requirements. Thank you for coming today, Luke.
1: Good to be with you, Ruth.
0: Let's start a little bit with the past and we'll move into the future. Reclaim Idaho recently filed a lawsuit Mm -hmm. against the state of Idaho. Can you tell me a little bit about what that involved and what you hope the outcome will be?
1: well a very dangerous piece of legislation was enacted just about two months ago signed into law by the governor Uh, it was originally senate bill 1110 and the proposal would make grassroots citizen initiatives like medicaid expansion or like you know various term limit initiatives and other things in the past it would make these kinds of citizen initiatives virtually impossible in idaho because it would take the current rules for signature gathering, which are already really difficult before this law, uh, and it would make them at least twice as difficult. Prior to this law, you had to collect signatures, uh, not just from 6% of, of registered voters across the state, which is you know well over 50,000 signatures, not just that, but also 6% uh, from 18 different legislative districts. So you really have to get out all over the state um, and that's what uh, campaigns have had to do in the past. This new law requires not just 18 districts, but all 35. So uh, any campaign of citizens that wants to get an initiative on the ballot has to go to every single district, and importantly, that means that if you're a special interest group that wants to keep an initiative off of the ballot, all you have to do is just organize in one district and prevent the, the signature gatherers from collecting those signatures, If you can knock it off the ballot in one district, you crush the whole campaign. And and even if the overwhelming majority of Idaho wants to see something done by initiative, it won't happen. Uh, So we think it's necessary in order to protect the constitutional right of Idahoans to put things on the ballot, we've got to ask the Idaho Supreme Court uh, to strike down this law and that's what we're doing.
0: Critics and some lawmakers would argue that um the initiative process as it was there were uh, some urban counties that were urban legislative districts that were dominating uh, the signature gathering process and that some rural counties rural legislative districts were left out what would you say to that you've run a initiative campaign before
1: well it it sounds a little harsh what i'm going to say but it really is the truth that when these legislators make this argument about rural voters getting left out they're just not arguing in good faith it's not a serious argument because they can't point to a single successful initiative in idaho history that left out rural voters that rural voters were against in fact our history is the opposite when initiatives have succeeded at the ballot it's been with the overwhelming support of rural voters Medicaid expansion in 2018 was the only successful initiative in recent Idaho history. Uh, certainly, at least going back to the Luna laws, but those were referendums. So, if you, I don't think you can find another successful initiative, and you'd have to go back to like 2002. So, Medicaid expansion, the only successful initiative in recent Idaho history, had overwhelming support from rural counties. Nearly every county in Idaho voted for it, the majority of voters. VOTED FOR IT. MEANWHILE, AS A SIGNATURE DRIVE, WE WENT ALL OVER. to WE COLLECTED SIGNATURES IN EVERY COUNTY. AND WE EVEN HAD TEAMS OF VOLUNTEERS IN RURAL COUNTIES ALL ACROSS THE STATE. SO THERE'S NO EVIDENCE THAT THE PROCESS AS IT PREVIOUSLY EXISTED EVER LEFT OUT RURAL VOTERS.
0: ANOTHER CRITICISM. from uh, lawmakers uh, said that requiring signatures from all 35 districts allows one district to largely veto uh, an otherwise popular proposal. In getting signatures from just 6% of voters in a district, um, is it really that high of a bar to meet?
1: 6% of signatures from registered voters is a very high bar. I know a lot of legislators have said otherwise I doubt a single one of them has ever tried it, Uh, and none of them have come forward and actually told us that they've tried it themselves. Uh, Because think about it, Um, 6% tends to be, depending on the district, but it's a couple thousand signatures. And you've got to get, every single signature has to be witnessed in person, in writing, and notarized by, you know, a third party. And... Depending on how good the signature gathering campaign is, up to half of the signatures then don't turn out to be valid. So if you've actually done this work before, you would know that sometimes you'll go out for two or three hours and knock on doors, and you'll come back with like six valid signatures in in two or three hours. So try doing try getting to two thousand signatures, and then try doing that thirty five times. Uh, so when they throw around numbers like just 6%, just 35 districts, it's, 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 again, it's, it's a bad faith argument, and they're not telling the truth, which is that what they're really trying to do is shut down the initiative process. They don't want Idahoans to have the initiative as a right. Uh, and they're, but the really cowardly thing is they're not willing to propose a constitutional amendment and actually take their argument to the voters because they know that if they did that, they would lose. So instead, what they're trying to do is this backdoor route of just changing the law on us and you know, virtually taking away our constitutional right without actually giving the voters a say uh, in, in whether, whether they wanna give up that right.
0: Your latest initiative uh, on education is essentially a redo from what happened in uh, 2020 and was put on pause because of the pandemic. Is there any difference between the 2020 initiative and the 2021 initiative?
1: The one difference is that it does raise uh, substantially more revenue. The new, the Quality Education Act initiative that we've put forward um, raises substantially more revenue um, because the way we look at it, we've, already, we've now lost two years um, since our previous attempt. Uh, and we were on our way to qualifying the last version for the ballot. Until the pandemic came along, and even then, we had a very good process to move our signature gathering onto uh, the internet and collect electronic signatures. Uh, But the state of Idaho really fought us on that and 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 shut that process down. So um, we really need time is of the essence. Um, Our kids really can't wait. We've got we're we're dead last out of fifty states in education funding. And it's not just that we're at the bottom of 50 states, it's that all across rural Idaho, you've got you know, programs in things like career technical education, welding, carpentry, agricultural science, and any number of other fields that just don't have stable funding. And then you've got you know, kids going without access to qualified teachers because every year one in 10 of our teachers leaves the profession. And we know that that's because in large part we're not paying them competitive salaries. So um, those two years that went by without us being able to put this on the ballot, that means a lot. And we, we, need to make it even, we need to make this initiative even bolder in order to really turn the tide and start investing in education. So now, last time it was going to raise about uh, $170 million or so. This time it's going to be well over $200 million um, a year that it would invest in K-12 education.
0: FOR ANY LISTENERS WHO MIGHT NOT uh, REMEMBER THE INITIATIVE LAST YEAR, CAN YOU EXPLAIN TO ME WHAT THIS uh, WOULD DO? IT WOULD BE A TAX.
1: RIGHT. SO um, THE QUALITY EDUCATION ACT, IT WOULD INVEST OVER 200 MILLION A YEAR IN URGENTLY NEEDED PRIORITIES uh, LIKE CAREER TECHNICAL EDUCATION, LIKE MORE COMPETITIVE SALARIES FOR TEACHERS AND OTHER STAFF. AND PROBABLY ONE OF THE MOST PERSUASIVE PARTS OF IT IS HOW IT IS FUNDED. Um, because it's funded in the most reasonable way that that I th- I think um, One could come up with for an initiative like this and that's simply by restoring the corporate income rate Income tax rate to what it used to be so no big new tax Just bring it to where it was in the year 2000 before it was cut several times uh, and then also the, the only other change uh, the initiative makes is uh, a modest tax increase only on individuals earning over a quarter of a million dollars a year, or if you're a married couple, only if you're earning over half a million dollars a year. And the reason why it's so modest is it doesn't even kick in on your first quarter million dollars, or for a couple of your first half million dollars. So if you make, if you're a married couple making $550,000 a year, you're only going to pay new taxes on that final 50000 No new taxes on your first 500000 uh, we think that's a very reasonable ask of of those who are who, who are doing really well in our economy uh, And and even with that modest change in the tax code We can invest a substantial very substantial amount in the next generation
0: the fiscal estimate on the initiative uh, was recently found to be inaccurate does that what kind of a wrench does that throw into reclaim Idaho's efforts and I just want to make sure you anticipate the initiative is still salvageable.
1: It certainly is salvageable. Um, we are hopeful, and this is kind of change. This story is changing by the minute, but <laughs> we're we are hopeful that the Secretary of State um, can move quickly, together with the um, Division of Financial Management, can move can move quickly to uh, write up an updated fiscal impact statement, uh, and and uh, you know. I don't need to get into how the mistakes were made and things, but for whatever reason, uh, the fiscal impact statement that was drawn up was based on the wrong version of the initiative. Um, so we do still need a statement on the correct version of the initiative, and we're hopeful that that can happen like quickly within a day or two. Uh, so maybe even by the time you hear this, we'll just have it sorted out. Um, if it does get drawn out for a longer period of time then that's going to cause some real problems Um, but we're doing everything we can to get everything you know set up so that people can start collecting signatures as soon as possible
0: sure and your deadline to collect the signatures by
1: it's by may 1st 2022 so about still over 10 months from now Uh, so we've still got a pretty pretty good amount of time if we can get up and running
0: so the first initiative uh, said the effect it would take effect on um, on or after January 1st of 2023 with HB 548 they changed it so the date would be the fiscal year this mm-hmm. is really in the weeds right <laughs> but right. they did pass several pieces of legislation between the time you were in the courts should uh, your education initiative pass? DO WE KNOW WHAT THE EFFECTIVE DATE WOULD BE?
1: YEAH, WHEN IT when it WOULD GO INTO EFFECT. Uh, WE HAVE WRITTEN INTO OUR INITIATIVE THAT IT WOULD GO INTO EFFECT ALMOST IMMEDIATELY IN JANUARY JUST AFTER THE NOVEMBER ELECTION. THE REASON WHY WE DID THAT IS BECAUSE um, WE uh, we ARE ACTUALLY CHALLENGING THE NEW EFFECTIVE DATE LAW IN COURT TOGETHER WITH OUR CASE AGAINST THE 35 DISTRICT RULE. It's enough, YOU KNOW, IF WE WANT TO JUST GET IN THE WEEDS FOR A MOMENT HERE. Um, we think this effective date rule, even though it's confusing, it's extremely important for people in Idaho to, to know about because what the legislature has done, they've like pretty quietly passed this new law saying, you know, if if the if, if you, the people of Idaho, enact a citizen initiative like Medicaid expansion or term limits or whatever, uh, that can't go into effect right away. It has to you actually have to wait all the way to July of the next year. So what is that, about nine months you have to wait? And the serious problem with that is that the legislature can come along and mess with it between then, before it even becomes effective, they can come along and mess with it. So let's say, like, just, let's just imagine a future um, initiative. Um, you, let's say someone decides to come along and, and regulate the payday loan industry so that they can't charge people 600% on their interest and keep people in poverty. Um, that initiative couldn't go into effect until nine months later. In the meantime, the payday loan industry could come along and lobby the legislature. The legislature could then undo the initiative, and the voters wouldn't even be paying attention because it hasn't even become effective. And then meanwhile, you know thousands of Idahoans wouldn't have started benefiting from it yet. So it's a really dangerous thing because, um, you know, initiative, citizen initiatives are more likely to be locked in in and win the public, you know, keep public support if they can actually go into effect. And I strongly believe, and a lot of people are with me on this, that the legislature wants to reserve to itself the right to undo the people's initiatives. And so they're giving themselves more time to do that. And they're hoping that if an initiative doesn't go into effect right away, that they can just quietly undo whatever the people of Idaho vote for. So it's, it's wrong. And, and that's why we have um, also asked the Idaho Supreme Court to strike down that legislation, because what we're saying is that the Idaho Constitution says in Article Three that the people of Idaho, not the legislature, the people reserve to themselves the right to make their own laws through the initiative process, independent of their legislature. So it shouldn't be that you enact a law, the legislature then gets to take nine months to then figure out if they're gonna undo it before it even goes into effect. It should be that the people get to legislate, the law goes into effect, and then if the legislature wants to undo it, they've got a real contest on their hands because they're taking something away from the people at that point are they're, they're not just undoing it before it's even had a chance to go into effect so that's I'm, we're getting really deep in the weeds but it is something that I, I think people should pay a lot more attention to
0: this money would augment the uh, existing education funding from the state not replace it if the initiative does pass do you expect uh, to see pushback from legislators it's their job to appropriate the money
1: well we Certainly expect pushback. Um, we never simply expect them to listen to the voters. <laughs> um, in, in my experience, when you're trying to, whenever you're trying to do something that goes against the grain of what legislators want to do, especially when you go against the grain of what the lobbyists are telling them to do. Um, You can never expect them to go your your way, you you know, like Frederick Douglass used to say, power concedes nothing without a demand, like you can't, you can't get any real progress on issues people really care about unless you get out there and actually demand it. And that's what the initiative process is all about. It brings together thousands of people uh, and then it gives hundreds of thousands of people a chance to vote all at once and demand that their government work for them um so we expect you know to put together that initiative campaign we're gonna we're gonna fight really hard to win it but then we've got to show up at the capitol we've got to you know we've got to show up at town hall meetings in every district in the state and people have to get organized in their communities and 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 you know schedule coffees with their legislator and let them know that You know when the people voted for this they really meant it and they 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 expect you to follow you know Their preferences and what what they've um, told you to do
0: Occasionally you sound a bit jaded (laughs) Uh, Mm. Or perhaps frustrated, right? Uh, How do you stay hopeful moving forward?
1: I think uh, well, I would consider myself and, and I think I speak for a lot of people in our organization, too. We're we're extremely hopeful people if we weren't we wouldn't be we wouldn't still be doing this (laughs) Um, the when we put medicaid expansion the medicaid expansion initiative together and really spearheaded that whole thing um, people all across the state didn't think it was possible at all Uh, they thought they didn't think you could get the signatures you needed in all 18 districts for one and that's why no one had tried it. And then they didn't think, they thought even if you got it on the ballot, we live in a conservative state, People, they thought people don't like programs like Medicaid here, so people are just gonna vote it down, so why try? Um, but we went all around the state in this old green camper and just went from community to community, no matter how conservative the community was, or whatever, or rural, or whatever. Everywhere we went, people just told stories of despair about their health care and how much they needed some kind of solution, uh, and they weren't hearing it from any politicians. Um, So we were confident that actually this is gonna do a great deal of good and people will vote for this. We put it on the ballot, it passed with 61% of the vote, and it won a majority in almost every single county, but even then, so, so that's that's on the hopefulness side, on the side of you know being more jaded. The legislature then comes along, a whole bunch of them want to just outright repeal it. They don't succeed. They do succeed in mangling it and put all putting all kinds of restrictions on it. Um, but then we you know persisted and kept at it, keep kept you know supporting, pushing them to support the program. The federal government eventually came in and rejected all of those restrictions that the legislators had tried to put on it. To this day, the Medicaid expansion program has been fully enacted, and as of the last time I checked, there are over 109,000 people getting health care because of it. And thousands of those people are able to see a doctor for the very first time in their adult lives because of because of what we did. So it's really hard. It's really hard to not have some, you know, kernel of hope that you can hang on to when we actually have this history of, of having a real impact in people's lives. Uh, and I think you know my rule of thumb is you don't have to win every time to maintain hope, but you know maybe like one in four or one in five is enough. And as long as you're, as long as you're winning every once in a while and making a, and you know you're making a difference, that's enough to keep hope alive.
0: What would you say to people who, I mean, you're obviously very involved in uh, Mm -hmm. politics, they see at the State House regularly, people who, you know, they read the newspaper, see it on the news, but don't know how to get involved, um, don't know how to send a message. What would you say to those kind of people?
1: Well, uh, I like to say, you know, if if you watch what Reclaim Idaho is doing, you know, if you watch what we did, Um, two years ago with Medicaid expansion, which led to over 100,000 people getting health care. You see what we're doing around trying to, uh, you know, invest in K-12 education. Join us, you know, because we're not, you know, you mentioned you've seen me at the Statehouse. I I try not to spend too much time there. I try to go, try to spend a lot of time out in communities. Um, Our organization started where I grew up uh, in Sandpoint, and in that, in North Idaho, and what we're all about is organizing at the local level. So um, our organization would be nothing if not for all of these local leaders who are the leaders of their local team, their local county team, or their local, uh, you know, town team. And and um, together with them, we have you know volunteers in communities all across Idaho and. Um, people can go to reclaimidaho.org and learn how to join one of those teams but what i also like to say is if you you know say you check out our organization or you see other organizations around and they're not quite doing uh, they're not quite working on the thing you care about consider bringing some people together and trying to start your own organization Um, that's always been at you know at the heart of our democracy uh, the very best of it has always been ordinary citizens getting together and taking things into their own hands when, when they don't like what's being done. Because we've never been, you know, in the, in the, at least in the best traditions of our country and I think our state, uh, we've never just been people that just accept whatever our government hands down to us. We've always been people who are willing to actually, you know, envision something better and then come together in our communities and, and try to make change. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you.